Credit Card, brought to you by Bank of Ireland in partnership with Aer Lingus. Whether you're buying your weekly basics or splurging on a special gift, with Air Credit Card, you'll collect Avios and unlock even more rewards. The only credit card in Ireland that gives you travel rewards as you spend. Sign up now by searching Bank of Ireland Air Credit Card and go from tap to takeoff. Bank of Ireland, begin. Over 18s only, acceptance criteria, lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. Subject to a monthly fee of €7.99 and annual government stamp duty of €30. Euro. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on Newstalk. Uh, as ever, it is time for our parenting slot. If you have a question for Joanna Fortune, afternoon at newstalk.com is the email address to send it to. Joanna, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Sean. Uh, Here's your first question. My husband and I are really struggling with our just-turned two-year-old. He's always breastfed to sleep and struggles to go asleep any other way except in the buggy or car. We have two older boys who we gently weaned at around 18 months and my husband took over the bedtime routine with an easy transition. My third boy is totally resistant to weaning and settling to bed for anyone else. If his dad tries to take him at any stage of the night when he wakes, he hits and kicks him and screams, get me out of your arms dad he settles in his cot for a short time and after that he's in our bed he wakes multiple times and goes absolutely hysterical if I try not to feed him he will absolutely not entertain going into his cot awake a few evenings I've gone out and he has stayed awake waiting for me to return at 11.30 or later ideally I would like him settling into bed for himself or other caregivers without feeding without too much fuss bedtime can take anything up to two hours at the moment is there any way to achieve this without it being horribly traumatic for everyone myself and my husband are both working outside the home and we're absolutely exhausted I'm not surprised Oh, I'm not surprised either. And, you know, unfortunately, Sean, there really isn't a nice, neat answer. There's you, you could look this up. There'll be forums, support groups. Everybody will have advice. But really what they're drawing on is what worked or did not work for them. And, you know, I remember I actually remember this. This one rings home for me because I remember trying to wean my own two and a half year old at that stage. And of course, She's not saying great idea. I'm I'm on board with this. You know, she responds with resistance. And I think that's what's happening here. And while, you know, is there a way of doing it that isn't traumatic? Yes, there's a way of doing it that isn't traumatic, but that doesn't mean it's easy. And I think, unfortunately, I do want to distinguish between those two. Look, I'm sure that, you know, this parent has tried putting a T-shirt or a nightdress or something that, you know, mom has been wearing over his pillowcase in the cot or his bed or on a teddy, something that gives him that sense of smell and closeness, you know, how triggering of memory and comfort those olfactory senses are. And if not, certainly do that. But I want to kind of manage expectations as well. I'm wondering if you approach this in a way of acknowledging, yes, it's going to be difficult for you and for your son. And actually, you're going to have to come at this slow and steady. And there may be a really difficult couple of weeks for this to become a new routine, a new expectation. Because, of course, you've got a little guy here going, hmm, should I get into my cot on my own and sleep or could I protest? And if he is successful in that protest in wearing parents down, then he learns his protest is an effective form of communication because the temptation is I'd much rather be in your bed snuggled up to you and breastfeeding with you. Of course, that's his preference. When I say, you know, ease him into it and do it with acceptance and empathy, 
there's a I mean, aren't there always? There's a couple of books on this, but there's a couple that are really nice to read with your son and to keep reading them every night. But it's nice about capturing the experience for both parent and child. There's one by Yvette Reed and it's called Booby Moon. Yes, mm-hmm. We always send everything to the moon when we're done. But it's a lovely way of kind of capturing how lovely this journey was and now it's coming to an end and it's this lovely piece together and the pictures are really nice as well and there's another one by Jessica Elder and actually Jessica Elder does a lot of weaning tips and breastfeeding weaning tips as well but the book is called My Milk Will Go Our Love Will Grow and again it's one that you could certainly be reading for yourself as a parent if you were weaning a younger child but it's really lovely for a toddler child as well who's being weaned to just go through this it's okay that it's difficult I'm going to be with you. We'll get through it together. I'm going to miss it as well, at least at some level. And if not, at least say it. Um, but, you know, I, I think this is a way that you're going to have to approach it is using books, using story, lots of other ways of nurturing cuddles, comfort and giving this time trying and I do say trying not to crack because as soon as you crack, he's like, great. So all that you want me to do is wake every hour, shout and roar at you. And then you're going to bring me into your bed. No problem. I can keep doing that. And mm-hmm. no better than a two-year-old to do that. That is their superhero strength at that age to know that the power of their protest, the power of their no. So it's going to take time and it's going to feel far from ideal for him. You know, you know. I think in this, this letter, the parents saying, ideally, I would like him to settle into bed for himself and other caregivers without feeding. And of course, that's ideal, but it won't feel ideal for him. He has a different ideal. Yeah. Yeah, on the plus side, get get me out of your arms, Dad. Very good use of language for a two-year-old. Well, that's why I thought the books would be handy mm. because here's here's a little guy well able to express what he's thinking and feeling and to articulate that. So actually reading the books with him could be really helpful. Yeah. I'm very worried about my 14-year-old daughter. She hasn't made any new friends since starting secondary school and has clung to the two boys in her class from her primary school. Now that it's midterm, she hasn't left the house. She has no plans with any friends. I keep suggesting inviting them over or making a plan to hang out, but she just shrugs her shoulders. The most I can get out of her is that she doesn't feel like it. She's happy in her own company, but I am worried for her. My friends meant so much to me at that age, and I'm afraid she's missing out and has no peers to confide in. I know starting secondary school during COVID hasn't helped, and it has been difficult to make new friendships. How would you suggest I approach it, or should I just leave her be? Obviously, that well, question a, refers to last week, but yeah, when there was midterm. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But I, I think, you know, is it, this whole time for this age group and this parent captures it perfectly here that put it within the context of COVID, the, the, make, the forming of new friendships in secondary school has absolutely been interrupted for loads of kids. And I'm struck by, you know, the language here that she's clung to the two boys from her primary school class and clung to really suggests for me a neediness that rather than it being, oh yeah, it's just this reciprocal friendship that's continuing. Now, maybe it is, but if she's clinging to them, then it's they're serving a purpose for her and she doesn't want to have nobody. But I'm wondering, did anyone from her primary school transition with her into sec- into this secondary school rather um, because if not you know she went in where maybe pre-existing or pre-established friendships of others who did because kids who went in knowing kids had an easier transition because of COVID than kids who didn't so it might be that this needs a bit of time and it may well be worth just 
linking in with her school year head and just saying, look, I'm a little concerned we're not seeing friendship formation at this stage like we would have expected and maybe keep a gentle eye on her and just is there anything that we should be aware of? Because one of the best ways um, at this age, indeed any age, to, to form new friendships is in shared interests and activities. And I would think, you know, Sean, that would apply both in and out of school because, you know, the school community, to get involved there, there may be some clubs or activities or sports that she could get involved involved in, but also what is she interested in that you could get her connected with kids outside of school in your locality so that she has like-minded kids who have shared interests. That would be a great way to do it. But the other thing that really jumped out at me here was about how should I approach it or should I just leave her be? And this parent saying, look, my friends meant so much. I want what I had for her. And that's such a, a, a normal, understandable parental want. But your experience is not hers. She is telling you that she's happy in her own company. She's telling you she's OK. She does have these two boys from primary school. And to some extent, I really do want you to take her at her word and believe her unless her words are telling you one thing and her body language or overall mood or demeanor is telling you something else. Then, of course, you would listen to that. But you can help her in terms of just raising her capacity for socialization, for connection. And you could do that in ways like, you know, inviting her to go see a movie with you. Will you come for a walk? Let's grab it, sit here and grab a hot chocolate and chat and casually say hello to people when you meet them. And you're modeling good social skills. You're modeling getting out there, getting involved, finding out a little bit more about what interests her and what gets involved. I'm not for a moment suggesting that as her mother that you can be a substitute friend, but you can help and support and scaffolding up those friendship making and socialization skills. And I think that might be the best approach here. Because mm. I suppose when you're when you are 14, there's a massive pressure to be popular and have loads of friends. And, yeah. and if this girl just isn't that pushed, she may, maybe doesn't want to even address that because it might be regarded as weird. She might think her parents might think she's weird for being that way. And that's what you want to avoid, that you don't want her going, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to come up with friends just to please you so that you're not worried about me. That's why I think taking her, oh, you're happy out. Well, you know what? If, if there's anything I can do to help the situation or, you know, if you ever do want to have anyone over, we've an open door policy here. You can have friends over once you let me know first that you keep that. And she's aware she can do that instead of you looking at her with worry and concern. And she's like, well, I wasn't worried about it, but now I am because I'm worried about you worrying about me. So I think do watch that. And you're absolutely right, John. At 14, you know, friendships are difficult and the desire or pull to be popular can be pronounced, but not for all kids. Some kids are perfectly happy just sitting on the edges, having a couple of friends. And I think that's what I meant about, you know, linking in with her year head just to keep a gentle eye on her. Because if they're saying, well, actually, she does have a couple of kids in school that she sits with at lunchtime and she seems content and happy, then I would take that as a really good and strong reassurance. If the teacher is telling you, look, she sits on her own, she doesn't seem to have anyone to connect with, then I would think you need to sit and talk with her and explore that a little bit more, but not in a way of it's a problem, just in a what might help. Mm. How now, can we support this? Now, another 14 year old. I just recently found my teenage son, 14, smoking. I confiscated the cigarettes, but I know he may get access to them again. The problem is his dad smokes as well. I don't. And while I have actively discouraged it, I am worried that my son has regularly seen his dad do it and has developed an unhealthy attitude from his father that smoking is enjoyable. I don't know if I have much firm ground to stand on as he has had this example. 
Should I get my husband more involved in putting my son off smoking or should I just continue to plead with my son myself? There's a little bit in, I mean, there's a few things in here, but a little bit of a, a risk here of it coming, becoming good cop, bad cop parenting. Mm. You know, the, the smoking parent, it's that parent's fault this happened and the non-smoking parent, sure, look at what can I do but plead. I think the first step here is that both parents sit and talk to each other about this and have an agreed narrative and a, an agreed strategy on how to approach it. Because if your son sees, well, dad's going to be okay with it. And I don't want to make the assumption just because dad smokes, by the way, that he is okay with it. I'm sure he isn't okay with his 14-year-old smoking. But what's going to be more effective is if you guys come at this as a united front. Because first of all, for me, with a 14-year-old smoking, uh, be curious as to where he is getting them because they're expensive and it's also illegal to be sold cigarettes under the age of 18. So how is he sourcing them? Where is he getting them from? And don't come at that in one. It, tone is everything with these conversations, because if you come at this with a pull up a chair, where'd you get them? Who gave them to you? You know, the tone is interrogating. It's accusatory. And you're going to be met with, you know, a friend found them. Mm. Very generic, dismissive <laughs> answers. If you're like, gosh, you know, they're really expensive and I'm really curious about how are you affording them? And, you know, Think about the pocket money he's getting or the, the independent spending budget he has. And, you know, because cigarettes are expensive and they're expensive as a deterrent for smoking and particularly for young people. The, the pleading bit is just jarring with me as well. I don't want you to plead with him. Um, instead, I want you to dialogue about this. Just speak about it. Have open conversations. And when you're having the conversations, think beyond cigarettes. It sounds like it's cigarettes he's using. But young people now are exposed to a whole variety of choices here, e-cigarettes, vaping, cigars, hookahs, you know, even smokeless tobacco use. And some of these are flavored tobaccos, so to in, which will, of course, increase the appeal to a younger audience. And the gadgety piece of vaping or e-cigarettes can also have an aesthetic appeal. So make sure that you're fully informed as to what's out there and why it is bad. Don't just say it's bad. Be very clear about it. And in a factual way, you know, looking up the, the appropriate websites, be it the Heart Foundation, be it, you know, the Irish Cancer Society will have lots of information about this. But making sure that you have what this is the reason I'm worried about you. It's going to affect your skin, your appearance, your teeth, your breath. It's bad for your health. It's, you know, and go through it in all those ways. And the reason I was starting, Sean, with the physical appearance is because he's 14. Mm. And physical appearance and how we are perceived, or at least how we perceive we are perceived by our peer group, is of the utmost importance. So don't underestimate the impact of approaching it from that way. In terms of at home, you could certainly, and maybe you already have this, and if not, I think, again, it's about bringing your, your partner on board with you, establish a smoke-free home, that there is no smoking in the house. There, You can even say there's no smoking in the garden. There's no We are a smoke-free house and there's no cigarettes or smoking product in the house. You can agree that. You cannot force him. As soon, the reason I'm saying don't plead with him, don't ban it, don't forbid it. As soon as you do that, he's going to do it. Yeah. He's going to do it behind your back. I'd much rather you have an open conversation and, and discussion around it and that you're calm and consistent. So when you say, should I get your husband more involved in putting your son off? I mean, absolutely, yes. Even if he wasn't a smoker, he should be as involved in this as you are. So I think they'll sit down together, have a conversation what are your agreed points? And the ideal, I don't want to kind of make any kind of decision for an adult in this, but the ideal would be that dad would give it up too and lead by positive example. Yeah. At 14, though, I would imagine 
he's more concerned with what his peers are doing than what his father is doing. Well, I would have thought so, too. Um, you know, that, that's not to say that the parental influence is nothing, though, Sean, because, mm. you know, research will show that uh, parents smoking at home is an influence. Um, it, it can go either way, by the way. It can also be an influence in that kids look at it and go, I hate it. I don't want him to do it. So I'm never going to do it. And it can also be one that influences kids to do it. And well, how can you tell me it's not OK if you're actually doing it? So it can go it, the parental influence on this and alcohol consumption as well is something that we would take very seriously as a deterrent. Right, we do have to take a break. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Uh, after that, why does my two-year-old stamp her foot at me? I imagine it's just because she can. Back in a couple of minutes. <laughs> Moncrief on News Talk, brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Welcome back. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Joanna Fortune is still with us. Our next question is, my two-year-old regularly stamps her foot at me. I try not to react to it, but this just makes her do it more. Do you have any suggestions for how to respond to this and how I can get her to stop? I mean, if I had a, a formula for getting two-year-olds <laughs> to stop this, I would be rolling in it. But at two years old, emotional fluency is totally underdeveloped. And, you know, emotional expression, therefore, of course, is relying on overt behavior, the things that I can do, say, the sounds I can make. So we get foot stamping, we get throwing of things, we get hitting, hair pulling, punching, we get tantrums. And it's a way of communicating an underlying feeling that I don't have the emotional fluency to otherwise express. So at two years old, you know, it's often the terrible twos, two-year-old tantrums, tantrum time. It's developmentally normal. It's parentally unpleasant for sure, but it's developmentally normal as an expression of frustration and anger. And I'm displeased that you don't want me to climb up here and get biscuits for myself or I haven't had a nap and I'm overtired. It's a way of letting us know. So overt behavior, it's what's underpinning it in terms of emotional and physical state that you want to kind of make meaning of. So one way that I I would just approach this in a playful way, to be honest, is that when she stamps her foot at you that you put words on it and say oh my goodness you're really cross with me and you're stamping your foot and as you say that you stamp your foot you let your face mirror the affect she's showing you you know the scrunched up forehead and the "Mm, I'm not happy and your tone of voice to express what you're seeing there and then you go something playful like you because when you stamp back you do two stamps then each foot stamps then jump stamp with the two feet together and then do a stamp stamp clap and so you're playfully transitioning through rhythm to dance using her stamp rather than, you know, looking at this as something you have to really focus on and over speak about and consequence and time out and all of those things that are basically like shouting into the wind when you have a two year old in front of you. Instead, you know, put words on what you're seeing. Oh, you're cross. And this is how you're showing me you're cross. And then playfully bring the stamp into something that you can do as a shared rhythm and a dance together. You could even add in a bit of music and have a little dance off. And that way you're doing redirection and distraction without having to speak it. Because mm. I imagine it's not the foot stamping that's the issue. It's whatever she's being defiant about. That's the issue. It's oh, just the way abs- she's expressing it. 
Absolutely. But, you know, sometimes I think as parents as well, we can feel a little affronted when our kids, you know, they stamp their foot or they grump at us or they throw something in tantrum. It can feel disrespectful. It can feel rude. Mm. But and that's our adult experience and perspective of it. And we may have grown up in a house where, you know, children should do as they're told or, you know, there were serious consequences for what might have been otherwise typical child development type of behavior. So have a little think about why is this bothering you? Where is the offense in it? But then switch perspective to that is not your child's intent at this age. Their focus is very much, I am having a feeling and I need you to see and hear that feeling and understand it for me because I'm struggling to make sense of it myself. Now, next question. And I imagine this might be uh, um, quite a common issue uh, among parents. I have actively kept pictures of my kids, 9 and 12, off social media since they were born. However, they were over at a neighbour's house recently at another child's 10th birthday. And as I am mutual friends with this parent online, I saw that my children were included in pictures this parent posted of the birthday on social media. I was so taken aback when I saw it and I feel uncomfortable that my kids were shown online without their consent and my consent. I don't want to fall out with my neighbour over this, but how do I approach this situation when we clearly have such different standards of what's appropriate to post about our kids online? Should I ask my kids to avoid getting into photographs? This is so interesting. This one has, I don't remember this one coming in before, but I agree. I think this is something that lots of parents grapple with. And you, I mean, when you say ask your kids to avoid getting into photographs, they're not going to be able to do that because so many photographs are kids at play and adults capturing a moment um, on behalf of the children. So I would say the best way to deal with this is calmly, but directly. You know, it is okay to ask the other parent to obscure your children's faces in her photo. You know, to put a little emoticon or Mm. sticker or a blurring effect, you know, just to erase them. It's absolutely okay to do that. And you're not offending the parent by asking because you can simply say, you know, as a family, we don't post our children online. I would be much more comfortable if you would obscure my children's faces, identities from the photo you've posted. Thank you so much. And you take it as a a given. I mean, I I think if you handle it in that way where it's, you know, just by the way, I'm making you aware, I would find it difficult, not impossible, but difficult to believe that would be offensive to another parent. They might be a little embarrassed. They might say, oh my gosh, I never even thought. I'm so sorry. And sometimes when we're embarrassed, we might get a little defensive. Oh goodness, it's just a photo. Sure, nobody's going to see it. But regardless of the other parent's counter response, you are absolutely within your appropriate rights as a parent to say you're not okay with it. It isn't something that you practice in your family. Therefore, please don't do it. And, you know, to be honest, Sean, none of us should share a photo of others without checking if it's first okay to do so, but especially not of someone else's children. Mm. I think that really is something that we need to check ourselves and go, gosh, I've never consciously thought about that before. Well, now is the time to start because don't make an assumption that because you're comfortable posting family moments and your children and faces identities online that everybody is. It's really coming back to those conversations we've had in other kinds of questions that have come in about boundaries and consent and respect. It's really important that we're very aware of boundaries. Social media is a very big, vast world. And the whole point about you know, people saying, well, my child has consented to me putting their photo up there. The whole thing about consent is that it can be given and it can be withdrawn. A photo, once it's up there, is up there. So I would deal with it directly. 
in a non-confrontational way. And I don't think this parent sounds confrontational at all in how they're feeling. But I think you're allowed to speak to your discomfort on this. And I actually think this is a really good question to prompt us all to kind of pause and think about it. Yeah, uh, no doubt we'll probably have a few comments about that as well. Uh, Joanna, thanks a million as ever. Uh, Joanna Fortune there. Joanna, thank you. Thank you. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Air Credit Card. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland in partnership with Aer Lingus. Whether you're buying your weekly basics or splurging on a special gift, with Air Credit Card, you'll collect Avios and unlock even more rewards. The only credit card in Ireland that gives you travel rewards as you spend. Sign up now by searching Bank of Ireland Air Credit Card and go from tap to takeoff. Bank of Ireland, begin. Over 18s only. Acceptance criteria, lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. Subject to a monthly fee of €7.99 and annual government stamp duty of €30. Euro. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.